Timothy chapter 2, it says, first of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so no matter what your political leanings are, we're called as Christians, your, your identity as a Christian comes before your political leanings. And so we live from a biblical worldview if you're living by the word of God, which is Jesus Christ, his son. If Jesus Christ is your Lord, you live by the word of God. And you're, you, you've died, you no longer live, your life is hidden with Christ and God. So Jesus is first, he has preeminence in all things. And so we pray for our kings, we pray for our president, we pray for our Congress, we pray for our, our local state leaders, no matter who's in power. You know, we pray for, since the church has started, we, when the church started, President Obama was the president. We prayed for President Obama. We're gonna pray for President Trump. We're gonna pray for our current Congress because it's, when we pray, we can actually change things. Our prayers are powerful and effective. And there's also, there's a, the Supreme Court justice position. We want somebody that fears God. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. That's what Proverbs 14, 34. So we want somebody who fears the Lord and is gonna abide by the constitution that's in place there. And so let's pray together. And um, Father, we pray as a church that you'd make us ready for an outpouring of your spirit. Make us ready, Father, make us ready. Lord, do whatever you have to do, Holy Spirit, to prepare us to receive the, the outpouring, the Niagara Falls outpouring of your spirit. Lord, just imagine, we, we wanna have a ground when the rain comes that can receive the rain, it just doesn't run off. So Lord, that involves tilling, that inv involves plowing, that involves breaking up the fallow ground that you may rain righteousness upon us. So Father, we invite you to, to break up the fallow ground, to make the ground ready in our hearts and in the church in the name of Jesus. Father, we pray for our, our national leaders. Father, we pray for President Trump. You give him wisdom from heaven to lead this nation, Father, that he would lead in righteousness and justice according to your ways, Father, that he would fear you in all his decisions. Lord, we pray for our Congress, Father, that you would purge and, and, and get rid of any, any uh, twisted ways in our government, Father, any ways that there is manipulation and there is uh, of power and of privilege in Congress and in our government, Father, purge it out, cleanse it out, Father, in the name of Jesus. Bring your fire to the White House, bring your fire to Congress, bring your fire to the state governments, Father, bring your fire to our local governments, God, because we want the reign of God, we want Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, we want his rule and leadership. Father, we, we pray your protection over all of our, our government leaders, over President Trump, over Congress. 
Father, we pray that any of them that do not know you, that they shall be saved, Father. It says that you wish for all of them to come to the knowledge of you. And that we, when we pray for them, it leads to peace in the land. So, Father, let righteousness be exalted in this nation. Let it be exalted in this nation, God. We thank you for it. Amen. All righty. Where's my clicker? So uh, last week I was talking about the kiss of the Father and how the kiss of the Father in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal father. The prodigal, prodigal means extravagant, uh, lavish. In case you didn't know what that, that meant, we had somebody tell us that they, they didn't know what prodigal meant. They thought it meant rebellious because that's the context that it's used in. But it's really, it means extravagant and lavish. And so this, this parable about the, the son that, run, that takes his inheritance and goes off and squanders it, you could, it's probably more accurately labeled the prodigal father, the lavish, extravagant father, because of the, the mercy he shows his son. Now, one of the things about the prodigal son is, or prodigal father is when the son asks for his inheritance and he goes off and he squanders it, he blows all his inheritance, is that the key was it said that the son came to his senses and he started taking steps back to the father's house. Now, until you realize your need for father to be under father's house, you're just going to be eating slop like this, like this son did. You're not going to have anything. You're going to be at your lowest low. But you, you have to see your need. Because if you can't see your need, uh, it just you're not going to come back to Father. And so when we've, you know, Jessica, uh, God delivered her dad from alcoholism back in 1991. He was an alcoholic. She has, on her dad's side of the family, Almost everybody, everybody that I can think of that's coming to my mind has either an addict or struggling with addiction. And so Jessica knows what addiction looks like. She knows what it can do to a family. And the reason Jessica is not an addict is because, first of all, she surrendered her life to Jesus. Secondly, she forgave her dad. Because you will reap what you sow. If you judge those who are addicts for being addicts, you will become what you judge. That's what Romans 2, 1 says. And so I don't want to get into all that, but uh, we were dealing with a, a guy who was battling drug addiction years ago, and I was talking to him on the phone, and Jessica had her dad on the phone because he's a AA sponsor. And he would say, we were, I was talking to him, and he's like, listen, don't, don't rescue him. He's got, to get, he's got to hit that bottom rung on the ladder. And he said, if, you, if he doesn't hit that bottom rung, then, and you give him a little bit of comfort, it just keeps him up on the ladder. He's got to hit bottom. Now, that's different for everybody. You know? And, he's, and, and so we're telling him, like, listen, you've got to take some steps back to, back to the Father's house, some steps that prove that you're actually hungry for change. Um, I was dealing with a guy here recently who was seeing demons everywhere. 
and he was in really uh, twisted sexual immorality, pornography, sexual sin, promiscuity and stuff. He was doing, he was doing meth. And I said, do you want, I said, you've, you've got to not want to live this life of sexual sin. Do, are you willing to repent of that? He said, yeah. I said, because all this stuff is open doors. You're just letting demons flood into your life if you, if you don't want to change. I'm just telling you how it is. And so I said, what about the drugs? Are you willing to give that up? He said, well, I, I mean, kind of. I said, that's not going to work, man. I said, you're seeing demons because this meth is, uh, do y'all know that some meth is made like with spells on them and stuff like that? I mean, it's a demonic thing. All addiction's demonic, but I'm just, there's, there's power. Like, there's more to the natural eye, guys. I, I just, it's, it's coming more and more evident to me every day here recently. I'm just, there's, there's a war. There's a war in the spirit. But this guy wasn't ready, and so he hasn't, he hasn't been set free from addiction. And he's still seeing demons manifest. And, I, you know, I can bind and cast away all day long, but if you still, if you just keep letting them in your house, you just kinda, it's, it's going to be there. All right? And so um, Jessica's dad, one time a guy pulled up. He's, he's a, Jessica's dad is a farmer. He's got a bunch of horses, and he was messing around with his horses, combing them, taking care of them. This guy dro- drove up. He said, hey, man, I want help. I, want, I, want, I don't want to drink anymore. And Jessica's dad said, were you willing to talk to the man about it? He said, no, I don't do that. He said, we might as well just go on down the road and get you a 12-pack, man. And because you can't, you don't have the power. You're a slave to sin. You are a slave to sin until you allow the one that has power over sin into your life. All right. Got off on a little uh, rabbit trail there, tangent, whatever you want to call it. But the kiss of the father, so you have the prodigal father. And it says, when the son started taking steps back home, the father ran, embraced him, and smothered him with kisses, which is this word, epipipto. (laughs) Now, this same word is used in Acts 10 when the Holy Spirit fell for the first time on Gentile believers. Peter prayed, and it says the Holy Spirit fell, and it was this word, epipipto, which, and so the Holy Spirit came and fell on the Gentile believers and embraced them and smothered them with kisses. And so the Holy Spirit is the representation of the Father. Sometimes we think that Holy Spirit's the crazy uncle. Father and Jesus have his, are doing this, uh, their own thing over here. They're really kind and gentle, and Holy Spirit's throwing people around and, you know, doing crazy stuff. But when Holy Spirit's throwing people around and they're getting knocked back and slain and laughing, Holy Spirit's actually just obeying the voice of the Father. (laughs) That's the expression. That Father's like, sling him around a little bit. He's Just think of it as Father wrestling with you. How about that? And so I want to expand on part of what the Holy Spirit's role is. So the Holy Spirit, he's the kiss from the Father. He's the loving embrace. He's the... He's the one that sets us free. He's the one that sheds abroad the love of the Father in our hearts, which is what Romans 5 says. But Holy Spirit is also the, the fire of God. He's the purifier. He's the one that convicts us of sin, judgment, and righteousness. 
And so I want to I talk about that today a little bit. Romans 6, 1 through 4 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died in sin still live in it? Paul's like, that doesn't make sense. You've, you've died to sin, right? How can you still live in it? <laughs> I love the way he puts it. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So how are you raised from the dead? You're raised from the dead, from the death of your sin by the glory of the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we, walk, we might walk in newness of life. Grace doesn't give us freedom to sin. Grace gives us freedom from sin. Grace is what, I, you know, you heard of some people have defined grace as unmerited favor. I define grace as God's ability. When God gives you his grace, he gives you his ability not to walk in sin. He gives you his ability to be free. He gives you his ability to be powerful. So we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. That's amazing right there. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus nailed sin to the cross. When we have died to ourselves, when we have, our identity has become holy in Christ and nothing outside of that, you become free. To find yourself, you actually gotta lose yourself. To save your soul, you've got to lose it. So all identity has to be crucified. I had a strong identity in being a basketball player because that was where a lot of my value, worth, praise from people came just growing up. And uh, I was in seminary and I was playing basketball and in, and in college. And sometimes I would have guys ask me, hey, did you play like college ball anywhere? And I'd go through this whole like rigmarole stories. Like, well, I mean, in high school, I had some offers, like Oglethorpe University was going to offer me a scholarship. It was only partial scholarship. And so I just, I really wanted to go to Georgia. And Tubby Smith was coaching, and, but Tubby didn't allow walk-ons to try to walk on, talk to him. So it just didn't work out, you know. And so that was like this whole like rigmarole story of just like, why? Why, why didn't you play college basketball and all this stuff? And then I was in seminary and somebody asked me that question. I was going through the whole story again. And the Holy Spirit said, why don't you just tell him you played high school basketball? And I just was like, yeah, because that's what I did. No more hyping up Travis anymore. So if people ask me that question, I'm just, no. Nah. This high school basketball, Kearney County High School, that was it. And then it's, but that, that's the type of things that you, you have to obey to, but now if somebody whips me in basketball, I don't get, it doesn't ruin my day. Because there, there's a lot of people whip me in basketball. My, my oldest brother always said, Travis, there's always somebody bigger and faster than you. 
I was like, that's good. I mean, it's just a little slice of humble pie from the older brother, you know. So older brothers like to do that. They like, they serve humble pie real well. Um, flesh and spirit don't jive together. Matthew 26, 41 says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. What's willing? The spirit. What's weak? Your flesh. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That's why you have to be born again. That's why you have to, Zechariah 4, 6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Because God was asking them to do to do a, something that was impossible in Zechariah. He was asking them to rebuild the temple, Solomon's temple, that had been destroyed, and they had zero resources. The city was in ruins. The temple was in ruins. And like, there's no way we can eat the temple will ever look like Solomon's temple because it was everything was overlaid in gold. I mean, it was probably the most expensive building to this day ever created. And they're like, we, there's no way it will come close to a Solomon's temple, and God's telling you, and then he gives him the promise, I tell you, this temple, this, this latter glory will be greater than the former glory. Because Jesus isn't looking at gold and cedar wood and jewels. He's looking at his spirit, wherever his spirit is. That's where the glory is. And he said, I want to make my house in you. I said this last week, Father God's got a body, he, he's got a backside. He's got a face. Exodus 33, Moses, he said, Moses, you can't see my face. You'll die. I'll show you my backside, and I'll hide you with my hand. Jesus has a body. He's currently seated at the right hand of the Father in a body. He's coming back. He had a transfigured body, and he's coming back in a resurrected body. Holy Spirit is looking for bodies. Holy Spirit in the Bible, he's fire, he's wind, he's water, he's oil, he's wine, and he's looking for bodies to fill it up with. And he's looking for a corporate body to fill it up with. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Say, the flesh is no help at all. <laughs> the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The flesh is no help at all. That's a good word, Lord. <laughs> There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. Say, I walk according to the Spirit. So conviction versus condemnation, what's the difference? Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit brings conviction, not condemnation. Conviction is a firmly held belief or opinion, and God has those. He's got firmly held beliefs or opinions about things. <laughs> condemnation is the expression of strong disapproval tied to a punishment with no mercy and forgiveness available so when holy spirit convicts you he's telling you i've got a really strong 
belief about this, and it's the truth. Now, you have a choice. If you want life, obey me. If you don't want life, disobey me. If you want blessing in your life, obey me if you don't. It's just that simple. So Holy Spirit, but what he does when you're born again, this is why it says in John 3, you must be born of the Spirit, is because he can't, you're born again. You're born Holy Spirit. It's just like Jesus was um, conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb. Am I right? What happens when you're born again? Holy Spirit conceives you and you have a new nature. Jesus is the firstborn. He's the he's the. He's the forerunner of everything, of what life looks like for us. He came to show us what life with God should look like. And so when you're born again, you're conceived of the Spirit, just as Jesus was. And you have a new nature. Resurrection powers in your, in your veins. You have the DNA of Jesus. You have the DNA of God. Peter said that we, we're partakers of the divine nature through his great and precious promises. So when you believe the promises, when you believe what God has said over your life, the divine nature comes into you, it flows out of you, it flows in you, and that's how you live. You live as Jesus lived. So the Holy Spirit changes your nature to have his firmly held beliefs, the conviction of the truth that will set you free. Now, this is Romans 8, 5 through 11, and this is out of the Passion Translation, 5 through 13. Those who are motivated by the flesh only pursue what benefits themselves. But those who live by the impulses of the Holy Spirit are motivated to pursue spiritual realities. For the mind set on the flesh of the flesh is death, but the mind set controlled by the Spirit finds life and peace. In fact, the mindset focused on the flesh fights God's plan and refuses to submit to his direction because it cannot. For no matter how hard they try, God finds no pleasure with those who are controlled by the flesh. But when the spirit of Christ empowers your life, you're not dominated by the flesh, but by the spirit. And if you're not joined to the spirit of the anointed one, you're not of him. Now Christ lives his life in you. And even though your body may be dead because of the effects of sin, his life-giving spirit imparts life to you because you are fully accepted by God. Yes, God raised Jesus to life. And since God's spirit of resurrection lives in you, he will also raise your dying body to life by the same spirit that breathes life into you. So then, beloved ones, the flesh has no claims on us at all. Say the flesh has no claim on me. We have no further obligation to live in obedience to it, the flesh. For when you live controlled by the flesh, you're about to die. But if the life of the spirit puts to death the corrupt ways of the flesh, we then taste his abundant life. Yeah. All God's people said amen. So I want to re read some of uh, Fernando's testimony now, some of you don't know who Fernando is. He, uh, Fernando Villalobos, friend of mine, he is uh, grew as from Bolivia and born and raised in Bolivia. And in the early 70s, there was a revival that broke out in that country that not many people actually know about. And it was a, a revival that changed a nation. It was a largely like nominal Catholic nation. 
and the Holy Spirit was poured out in a way that, you know, I've haven't heard much of in other places. It's it was it's a unique revival in what God did in that nation of about three million people at that time. Thousands and thousands and thousands. I mean, I don't want to exaggerate numbers, but thousands and thousands and thousands of people got born again in a very short period of time. <laughs> and so I want to read some of Fernando's testimony about how he grew up Catholic, and when he got born again, he said they, nobody, because nobody in the country had a real, real relationship with Jesus that they knew of, that nobody even knew how to guide this thing, really. So they all lived by the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. They didn't know anything about what was right and wrong or anything like that, but they were just responding to the Holy Spirit's leading. So I'm going to read some of his testimony that I got permission from him to share with you. Fernando, he says, to me, a Christian life is not about theory, but experience. And he's, he's uh, written a book that this is, will be published sometime in the near future, but um, this is from his book, and he gave me permission to share it. A Christian life is not about theory, but experience. You establish a relationship with the Holy Spirit, and he is the one that changes your life totally. For instance, I didn't know that smoking was bad because everybody smoked cigarettes or marijuana. He's talking about this time during the, the revival, early 70s. Nobody was telling us not to smoke. Julio, who was the, uh, a leader in this revival, a main leader, Julio was busy, and the revival was already on, and there were so many young people coming to Christ. Our leaders couldn't handle every person. We had very little human guidance, but we had a lot of spiritual guidance because the Holy Spirit began to take over our lives and teach us. In some of the meetings, because we began to love each other deeply as brothers and sisters, we began to share everything, just like the early church in the book of Acts. We didn't have much, but what little we had, we began to share. One thing that we shared were cigarettes. In some meetings, we used to pray and then read the Bible, and while we were reading the Bible, we would light up cigarettes and smoke and share them. Our meetings were full of smoke. We didn't know any better, and yet the Holy Spirit still moved. I knew that cigarettes were bad when the Holy Spirit told me he didn't want me smoking cigarettes. One day I was reading the Bible and smoking a cigarette when the Holy Spirit told me, I don't like that. I said, well, we have a problem because I've tried to quit smoking before. My dad had scared me because while he seldom smoked, I was smoking four packs of cigarettes a day by that time. He told me I would die of cancer if I didn't stop smoking. I had started smoking around the age of 12 and tried to quit around the age of 17, but I couldn't. After that, after that I thought, perhaps I'm going to die of cancer. So that was my consolation. I remember talking to Jesus and telling them that I tried to quit but couldn't. Please help me out. I broke my cigarettes and threw them, threw them away. The shocker came the next morning because I forgot about my prayer. I tried to smoke and I couldn't. The cigarette tasted terrible. I tried three cigarettes, so I, I thought I had a bad pack. I kept grabbing new packs and the same thing happened. I, su I suddenly remembered my prayer. God took away my cigarettes by his grace. Then I began to learn and understand that he is the one who changes our lives. He is the only one who can change our nature. It's not that I don't want to smoke. I can't. Once later, I tried to smoke when I was mad at God. <laughs> I knew how much he hated cigarettes. 
I went and bought cigarettes and tried and failed. God completely changed my nature. That's the way I am now. I'm not a perfect person, but I'm not going to fake anything. I don't try to be a holy person. Before the revival, I loved to curse, but now I can't curse anymore. I curse so much that more than 80% of my vocabulary was curse words. The Holy Spirit told me that both cursing and blessing cannot come out of my mouth, James 3.10. I didn't know what to do, so I decided not to curse anymore. That decision didn't work out well because I realized that cursing was not only in my mouth, but it was in my brain. It was in my heart. It had become part of my nature. Although I wasn't saying anything, I was thinking about it. I was still cursing, but in silence. I became very frustrated trying to correct this problem. I asked for the Holy Spirit's help. He told me the name of Jesus is powerful and sufficient. When I heard that, I thought to myself, every time I think or feel to curse, I'm going to say Jesus. So here I was saying Jesus all the time. My friends thought I was going crazy because truly I have no clue how many times a day I was repeating Jesus' name, Jesus' name. It became a battle. Because of how ingrained cursing was in my nature, this process took several months, perhaps more than three. To me, it felt like a long, long time until one day something broke inside me. It was not only a feeling, but I actually heard the sound of something being broken inside of me. It sounded and felt like when you snap a pencil in half. That day, I was totally delivered from cursing. Cursing was no longer part of my nature. And to this day, over 40 years later, I've never, ever cursed again. It's not part of me anymore. I think we're not aware how sinful and ingrained cursing is in our nature. The only one who can del deliver us from that sin is the Holy Spirit. Now, if I hit my, my finger with a hammer, the only thing that comes out of my mouth is Jesus. He has a lot to change in me. When he does make a change in me, I know it, and I can give him the glory. Nobody else can change a human. The problem is that as Christians, we try to help him out. We're always trying to take the bad out of ourselves, but we can't do it. Only the grace and power of God can change our lives and bring the perfection that we will someday attain. Everyone began to understand the grace of God in this way. So many people were beginning to turn from various sins and problems by the grace and love of God. He truly was cleansing us, changing our nature. One day I was with a believer, a girl who was having problems with cigarettes. She very much wanted to smoke a cigarette, so I said, okay, I'm going to buy you a cigarette because that's what's in your heart. The only one who can change you is Jesus. She wanted a cigarette, so I bought her a cigarette. She started smoking and asked, aren't you mad? And I said, no, God is the only one who can take that away. And I shared with her, with her my testimony about quitting smoking. She went home, and the next day she came back. She said, Fernando, it happened to me also. I can't smoke anymore. I said, welcome to the club. <laughs> Suddenly, many more started to quit. There were no rules. The Holy Spirit convicted us and changed us. He simply transformed our nature. At that time, I didn't know what grace was. All I knew was that the Holy Spirit was the only one who could change us. We didn't know the theological basis for sanctification. We were not mystics. We loved playing and, and having fun and laughter and joy. We could never be serious. Either we were playing or praying. We had such childlike faith with no condemnation. Since we were living in the 70s, we were like all the other hippies of our day, all about maintaining good vibes, sleeping around, smoking marijuana. But as thousands of young people came to Christ every day, he began to set apart and make us holy, even while we didn't yet know what it meant or what it looked like. God made such radical changes in all of us 
We didn't try to change or even know we needed to. Nobody can be perfect out of their own strength. The enemy will condemn you and pressure you to follow the law, but Jesus tell us, tells us to become like children and simply abide in his love because apart from him, we can do nothing. And so I want to talk about Holy Spirit as actually a Lord in your life, if you will, because Jesus actually called, references the Holy Spirit as Lord, <laughs> this Lord. Second Corinthians chapter 3 says, but the moment one turns to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted and they, and they see. Now the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit. And wherever he is, he is the Lord. This is Paul. I want to uh, share the Jesus scripture with you. And wherever he is Lord, there is freedom. So Paul is teaching us that not every time the word Lord appears does it mean Jesus Christ. Here we see that the Lord refers to the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is ruling, speaking, convincing, of, convincing us of truth, there is freedom. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the Lord of the harvest, who prepares the workers and the harvest fields, sending them out into specific places for the reaping of souls. He turned to his disciples and said, the harvest is huge and ripe, but there are not enough harvesters to bring it all in. As you go, plead with the owner of the harvest to thrust out many more reapers to harvest his grain. And so Jesus is referencing the Holy Spirit here, Matthew 9, 38 through 39. Galatians 5.13, beloved ones, God has called us to live a life of, of freedom in the Holy Spirit, but don't view this wonderful freedom as an opportunity to set up a base of operations in the natural realm. Freedom means that we become so completely free of self-indulgence that we become servants of one another, expressing love in all we do. As you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life, for your self-life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit and hinder him from living free within you. And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your old life from dominating you. So then, the two incompatible and conflicting forces within you are your self-life of the flesh and the new creation life of the Spirit. Has anybody ever felt like they've had an internal battle between doing what the Lord wants them to do and what their flesh wants them to do. Yes, I'm there with you. Judges, and this is a testimony of the Holy Spirit's freeing work in the Old Testament. This is about Samson. Raise your hand if you know the story of Samson. All right, it says, when he came to Lehi, the Philistines, that's how if you live in South Georgia, that's how you pronounce it, Lehi. The Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became his flax that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. So what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon you? <laughs> Those ropes become like flax, and your bonds melt off your hands. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit rushes upon you, when he comes upon your life and you give him, when you surrender to what he wants to do. 
the main thing for us is the surrender part. We've got to yield. And there's times where even the Holy Spirit has touched people who didn't want anything to do with him. He does that all the time. There's, I remember Randall, uh, Roland Baker, <laughs> Randall, yeah, but uh, Roland Baker telling a story of how these parents had dragged their teenage kids to a meeting and they, you know, they're sitting there in the front row not wanting to be here, I dare you to bless me pose. We call this the I dare you to bless me. <laughs> and so they're sitting there in the front row and they begin praying, Holy Spirit touches this teenager, wants nothing to do with being there. But guess what? There's God honors the prayers of parents and grandparents and loved ones and friends, and he knows what's best for you. He knows, look, it's going to be a good thing when I touch you, and you'll, you'll never want to go back to your old life again. So what is our response to the Holy Spirit and this purifying work that he does in us? Number one is surrender to the Holy Spirit. We lay down pride. We lay down the need to be right because being right all the time can get lonely. Remember you said it's lonely at the top? You heard that phrase? Well, if you're always right. And what I mean is in your relationships, if you value being right over maintaining the relationship, you, you will be lonely. You lay down defending yourself. That might be the hardest one for us to do. Sapraza Satole, how many of y'all know who Sapraza is? He's come to, to our church before and to Athens Link. Sapraza, he's from Mozambique. This may not be a great Mozambique accent, but I'm going to do it anyways. I don't get into bits. I just speak the truth and I let the Holy Spirit do his work. I don't do debates. I just speak the truth. That's all he does. It's not this haggling back and forth, just like Fernando. Uh, another story, Fernando, this guy who was an atheist communist in Bolivia, he said, Fernando, I heard you became one of those stupid Christians. And Fernando just didn't even say anything. He said, aren't you going to argue with me, debate with me? He said, no, Holy Spirit, we'll show you. Have a good day. Fernando gets a call like 36 hours later, and it's his buddy who's the communist atheist. He says, what did you do to me? He says, what are you talking about? He says, ever since I talked to you all, there's a voice in my head that says, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. And it hasn't left me alone. It's been going on. I haven't been able to sleep. It won't let me sleep. And Fernando said, that's the Holy Spirit. And the guy said, how do I get rid of it? <laughs> he says, well, you have to give your life to Jesus. So the guy became a Christian. Do you love something more, something else more than the Lord? If God told you to do something religious, would you do it? 
If God, you know, I believe that the Bible allows for drinking alcohol. I have no problem with people drinking alcohol. But if he, if he told you, I don't want you to drink alcohol, would you do it? Is he Lord of your life? There's other things like that. If he told you to watch, stop watching a show, would you do it? If he told you to um, give something else up, that there is not a, a rule or a law in the Bible for it, but he's just asking you, would you do it? Because it's for freedom that Christ set you free. It's not for bondage, and it's, and it's not always about you. It might be for somebody else. It's just not all about us. And so when he asks us to do things, sometimes he's got generations in mind. Other times he's got the people around you in mind. But all I know is that all of his, the end dealings of all God's work in us is for the purpose of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not eating or drinking but it's these three things, righteousness, peace, and joy. That's the, that's the end game for all of God's dealings with us. But it comes in the Holy Spirit, not outside of that. And you have to be fully surrendered. If you're calling yourself a Christian, you have to be fully surrendered. It's all in. It's all in. Both feet in the water, getting in the river. You cannot straddle. It just doesn't work. You will have zero power in your life. And that's why... Because it's, I, I'm telling you because that's my testimony. I, as a Christian for many years, I had both, I was straddling the fence and I had no power. And I got disillusioned with myself and I got disillusioned with Christianity because I'm like, where's the power that the Bible talks about? And it's because I wasn't fully in. But you got to get all in. You got to surrender. And it's just got, everything's got to be on the table. And it's not, it's not just a one-time thing. It's just like what we did this morning where it's a surrender every day. It's a choosing to not be, uh, to let convenience, you know, like what I was talking about this morning for me, have rule over your life. And, and the Lord's gracious. He shows us these things, and it's not with condemnation. He's just like, this has crept in. Repent. And, and we do those things, and we're right, right back there where we need to be because God's not, he's not like, no, let's, you're going to have to work your way in. It's just the prodigal son thing. You come back home, you get a robe, you get the sandals, you get the feast, you get everything that, the, that God has for his children. So let's stand up. One thing, I, I, I feel like if you're battling an addiction of some kind this morning, God wants to set you free, and he will set you free if you surrender. And it's not, if it's drug addiction, if it's porn addiction, if it's uh, any addiction, entertainment addiction, whatever it may be, he wants to break it off of you. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Self-control. You can tell, you can, you can draw a line. You can say stop. And nothing else has control over you. I was telling somebody, uh, it was yesterday, you don't want anything controlling you outside of Jesus. That's called an idol. That's called bowing down to a false god because that thing is controlling you. You do not want that. 
Now, one time when I, I was fasting, I just felt like the Lord was like, I don't want, con- I don't want food controlling you, Travis, because I, food would control me. Jessica testify when we were, we were dating. I got, I'd get hangry, but it wasn't just hangry. It was like on another level. I was like, where's some food? I need some food. I need food. And I'm just, you know, I'm like destroying people in my path, like, yeah, 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 and biting their heads off. Mm. <laughs> but it was a real thing. Georgia football. God had me fast from TV for 40 days in the middle of football season. Who does that? And I was like, Lord, I, he said, I want you to fast from TV for 40 days. This was before we, this is like 2000. And I said, you know, it's Georgia football season. He's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> but guess what broke off of me? Because I would step over my ailing grandmother if the Georgia game was on. I was like, Grandma, you're going to have to wait, okay? I would, and what, because the purpose was, I literally, I would, so you're going to have to wait. Georgia's on. It was, it was an idol. But what happened after that, I didn't have to, I, I still enjoy watching Georgia games, but if I miss a Georgia game, no big deal. It was a real idol in my life. Just like the hangry thing was a real idol. He just doesn't want anything controlling you. He wants your freedom. And so we're going to worship in one more song. And if there's anything that has control of your life other than the Holy Spirit, I invite you just to deal with it, to give it to God and let his grace. He's going to give you the ability not to walk in that thing because you don't, you tell God, he's like, God, I've tried and tried and tried. I don't have the power. I need you. I surrender to you. I want to give you everything. And his grace will come into your life and break that thing off of you. His spirit will rush upon you. And make those cords like flax and break and melt the bonds off of your hands. So let's worship. And as we worship, come on down and let Jesus set you free.